the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. God sent Jesus, the Messiah, down, being born to Mary and Joseph. He lived a normal life marked by obedience to God's word and grew up in the town of Nazareth. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptizer and was led by the Spirit of God to a desert wilderness and fasted for 40 days, where Satan would tempt him. He then returned to Nazareth, teaching in the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus was rejected by his hometown and began teaching in Capernaum. He healed many people of various diseases, blindness, and leprosy. Jesus also cast out demons from many of those afflicted. Despite the miraculous taking place in their midst, the scribes and Pharisees hated Jesus because he went against rabbinical traditions, only using the word of God. Jesus silenced them with his wisdom. He began to teach the disciples and people of the area. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 6, verse 17. At this point in Jesus' ministries, the leaders are, the religious leaders are plotting against him because he won't get on board with their plan. But Jesus, he is proceeding with his father's plan. And after the, spending the night in prayer alone on the mountaintop, he, he's chosen 12 men who are also on board with his plan, the father's plan. And now he's called them to announce that plan from city to city as he continues to travel and teach about repentance about that salvation that God is making available to them for his kingdom is near. Religious leaders plan for Israel and the plan that the Father has that Jesus is teaching the people about. These are two different plans and they're very vastly opposite. And these two different plans are reflective of the two ways that we can live. And so when Jesus comes down from the mountain with those, the 12 apostles now, he shares those two different paths with the crowd. And so as we see the vast difference, may we choose the kind of life It's worth living and not a life that is wasted. So chapter six in Luke, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and they that were vexed with unclean spirits. So we see here that Jesus comes down from the mountaintop and he is going to minister to the people, the massive crowds that are there. And it says that he stood in the plain, a level place. I bring this up because many 
confuse this with the Sermon on the Mount because the message is similar. We're going to see similar Beatitudes at times. We're going to see some other teachings that are very similar. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Be merciful as your Father in heaven's merciful. We're going to see some things that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. And so some people, they will actually say, well, the messages are so similar, it's obvious that Luke just got some of his facts wrong. He didn't get the whole sermon right because he wasn't an eyewitness, so he just got a little bit of it wrong. Well, you realize there's a problem with that thinking. Number one, God doesn't get things wrong, and he's the author of our scripture. So we, we cannot settle for that answer. Now, the difference is, is that this is the Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Mount, strangely enough, occurs in a mount. Good, yay. So these are not the same sermons. They occur at different times in Jesus' ministry. They occur on different areas. So we cannot say that they're one and the same. And we already know Jesus' teachings had a theme. So why does it surprise us to see other sermons that lay out his kingdom principles just like the Sermon on the Mount did? Itinerant preachers frequently teach similar sermons. I teach outside of here on a regular basis, and I don't always come up with a new message. A lot of times I will take a sermon that I've taught here or maybe taught somewhere else, and I'll tailor it to the different venue that I'm at, and maybe one that really ministered to my heart, and I'll share it again. There are certain messages that God's put on my heart that I, I think people, it's important for them to hear, and I will share them frequently when I'm invited places to speak. There's nothing wrong with that. It's still God's word. It's something that God put on my heart to share. Why would we think Jesus in his itinerant ministry would be any different. So this is a different sermon, even though the principles, some of them are the same. Now, who's there for this sermon? Well, a whole lot of different folks. It mentions when he came down into the plain, he stood in the plain there. He was in the company of his disciples. So these are the people who, the folks that regularly came to hear Jesus teach. He was also there a great multitude or a big crowd of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem. So we got people from the southern part of Israel. They don't like the Galileans, so we've already got kind of a mixed crowd here. But then it mentions, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are two Roman port cities that are vastly Greek cultured. So if these are Jews who are coming here, these are Hellenized Jews. And if there's one thing that the Galileans and the Judeans could agree on, is there's nobody worse than Hellenized Jews. You say, what are Hellenized Jews? That sounds bad. Jews who are going to hell? No. Hellenization is the idea of Greek culture infiltrating a society. Hellenized Jews were those who went in Rome do as Rome does, right? They had adopted Greek way of life. They had adopted a Greek way of thinking, a Greek way of speaking, a Greek way of living. Even though they were Jews and still were loyal to their faith, they were not necessarily loyal to the traditions of their people. And so these were people that were thought of as they've really compromised, they've really gone over the edge, and therefore they did not get along. In fact, they would never go to the same synagogue. But here they all are together hearing Jesus speak kind of like us today, right? A whole bunch of different people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, but we're all here together to hear what Jesus has to say. What draws us together? Well, hopefully that. Hopefully it's a teaching of God's word. And then, of course, they were here for another reason, his power to change our lives. I hope you're here for that too. I hope you don't just show up and think, well, I did my duty. I came to church this week. I hope you expect that God wants to work in your life and to change it. But what's interesting is that we have one thing this group didn't have. We have a love for one another because the fact that Jesus lives in our hearts, even though we have 
very different backgrounds that we come from. Jesus, he's already seeking to build that mentality through his teaching, which is why he's attracting so many different people. And they're willing to overlook those normal issues that they would have occupying the same place because they, they are drawn together by his teaching. But we have that now in Christ. And you know, one of the things I love about our church is it's very culturally diverse, very background diverse, and, but we all love Jesus and that's why we tolerate each other. No, just kidding. That's why we love each other. Now it mentions here they came to hear him, so they came to hear him teach, to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed by unclean spirits. They were afflicted, troubled, or confused. You know, we do know the Bible teaches that demonic possession is real, that the enemy forces are out there and they want to afflict, trouble, and confuse people. There were some experiencing that and they wanted to find rescue from that bondage. And so they're all here. These same three different reasons that everyone always came to see Jesus. And like usual, Jesus met their needs. It says they were healed. But in this instance, it mentions that he healed them first and then he taught afterwards. That's usually different. Jesus would usually teach first and then he would you know, pray for them or heal them afterwards. But here he heals them first. For it says in verse 19, as he comes down, he stood in the plain, the whole multitude sought to touch him for there was, went virtue out of him and healed them all. The word there, touch, it's, it's an interesting word. It means to start a fire. So when it was used of physical touch, it meant to grasp onto someone or hold onto someone. It was more than just Jesus is walking by and somebody goes, Woo, I got him, I touched him, I'm healed. There's none of that going on. There's not this light touch. The idea here is that people weren't randomly touching Jesus as he walked by. Jesus was taking time with each person who had a need. He was grasping them, holding on to them. It was a powerful moment. It was a poignant moment. It was not this light moment, random moment. Every encounter was important to Jesus because every person was important to Jesus. I'm gonna ask you this morning, do you treat people like that? Are they important to you? I have to confess there are times when I'm out and going to the store, Beverly's, ah, I'm out of milk. Whatever. Okay, I'm gonna run to the store and get milk. And I have one purpose in mind, one goal in mind, to get milk, right? I'm not there to chat with anyone. I'm not there to, what, I'm there to get milk, come back home so I can hopefully get back before the commercial ends and I can watch the rest of the basketball game. And so there'll be those times, you know, where you're, you're looking and going to get the milk. I had one time, just two weeks ago, and I'm walking up, I mean, I am, and I am not necessarily the most approachable looking individual, so I'm not, like, I don't have screaming on my face, talk to me. I probably have the opposite. So I'm walking, and I'm zeroed in on that cold container that has the milk in it. And some guy looks at me, and he goes, catch, and he has an egg in his hand. <laughs> now, obviously, at first, I'm thinking, I'm going to get egg all over me. But then, I'm, I'm not happy. <laughs> He's just smiling, he goes, gotcha. You know, and I'm going... I'm here to get milk. <laughs> Not amused. However, I'm a pastor and who knows when they might show up here. So I smiled at them and I went, funny. And then I went and got milk. <laughs> got us quickly through the self-checkout line because that's the fastest. Got in the car and the Lord's like, somebody pretended to throw an egg at you. You don't think that's coincidence, do you, Will? who have the truth of eternal life and you had to get milk. Jesus took time for everybody. And are we having that same mentality towards the people he created? 
Now it mentions here, they were seeking for their moment with Jesus because it says there went virtue out of him. Now, we don't need to make that all weird and wacko and try to understand what that meant. The word virtue just means supernatural power. In other words, people saw the supernatural things that happened when Jesus was taking time with someone. And so they all wanted their moment with him. I bring this up because when I observe healing services today on the television or whatever, they're very callous. You know, people are coming up. You don't know who they are or whatever. And of course, they're either getting knocked over or in our case, you know, the guy who came to our area 10 years ago, he's punching people and kicking people off the stage. They're sometimes violent, knocking out teeth and whatever. Listen, that is not Jesus, all right? That's something else. Somebody's got issues, but that's not the Lord, all right? This isn't a rock concert where everyone's trying to touch the lead singer or the faith healer. It's not a presidential speech for kissing babies or photo ops. Jesus, the indication of the text here is there's no rush. There's no chaos. This was God in the flesh connecting with individuals he created. He created because he loved them. Now, once he had taken time with everyone, it says he healed them all. Everyone who needed it, then he taught. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, that's familiar to us because the Beatitudes, the 10 Beatitudes start with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You go down the list and there's 10 of them there. There's only four here and they're followed by four woes. So again, it's a different sermon and has a different focus. It's not the same thing that Jesus is trying to say even though he's saying a lot of similar things. But the word blessed there to remind us, it describes the state of life that God enjoys in heaven. It's the happiest kind of life a person can have because it's most like life as God experiences it. Jesus came to give us that quality of life, John 10.10. He says, a thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, right? But why does Jesus come? To give us life, and then he qualifies it that more abundantly. Literally, it means life on a different level, life that is out of this world, life that comes from somewhere, not here. That's the idea. Life that comes from God. And the Bible says that in him was life. God is self-existent. Life springs forth from him. We, we could say, like, today's Father's Day, and I, and I could say, I created four children. And there's some sense where I contributed DNA to that process. However, God is the one who breathes life into an individual. He is the one that creates a living soul. He is the one that makes something have life in it that is beyond just the animation that goes on from our bodies. So in him was life. And of course, if he's now breathing into us and he's making us alive, he wants us to have the quality of life that is best for us. And so he breathes into us his life. He gives us a spirit that can fellowship with him, that can relate to him, that can walk with him through life, through our bodies. Jesus' desire is he wants us to have that life when he says blessed and then he tells us who's blessed or the attitudes and behavior of someone who's blessed. So this teaching is going to explain to us the attitudes and the mindset that cause us to experience life on a different level, the life that God approves of and wants all of us to experience. So the first key to a life worth living, it says blessed be ye poor. Now, this is not just poor, but utter destitution. It is abject poverty. You don't have two pennies to rub together in your pocket. It can mean that, 
Or it can also mean total humility, absolute humility. Because this is the same word used in Luke 4, 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And we looked at that from Isaiah where it actually translated, translates that word poor to meek. And we talked about how that refers to humility. And so here again, it does not refer to actual poverty, but to humility, total and absolute humility, poor in spirit, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. What is humility? Well, humility is when I take an honest assessment of myself and I recognize my weaknesses. Therefore, spiritual humility means recognizing my need for God, that I'm not okay on my own, that I'm not a good person, that I need a savior. Listen, it is no blessing whatsoever to pretend that you are better than you are or to put on a pretense so no one knows what you're really like or what's really going on. Have you ever tried to live like that? Not fun. Not a blessing. That's stressful. That's frustrating. The Lord says, here, you know, it is a blessing to be honest with yourself and with the Lord. And you know, the happiest people I know in life are people who are honest with themselves, honest with the Lord. The most miserable people I know of in this life are people who are dishonest with themselves, they deceive themselves, and they're stubborn with the Lord. But the peaceful ones, the blessed ones, honest with themselves, honest with the Lord. The good news, the blessing, is that those who lay down their pride and adopt this mindset gain God's kingdom. For yours is the kingdom of God. That word kingdom is one of Jesus' favorite words. He uses it often. He used it to describe both God's rule in our hearts here and now and his coming reign. You understand that the world as it is, it's not in good shape, right? And you understand that the only way it's going to get better is when Jesus comes back or get to the way it needs to be. It can get better when people adopt righteousness, but the only way it can get to be where it needs to be is when the Lord comes back to rule and reign. And we pray for that. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's our heart's desire. That's the only way we'll fix everything that's out there, all the problems that we have. But Jesus, he also used it to describe God's rule in our hearts here and now. Look at John 18. Jesus explains it right before he goes to the cross, that this is what his kingdom is like now. Even though we do not see all things under his feet yet, like Hebrews talks about, his kingdom is still alive now. It's still in operation. It's simply in individuals who yield to his reign in their hearts. John 18, verse 33, beginning there, Jesus, of course, had been handed over by the religious leaders of Israel at this point, and Pilate, he's brought before him, and Pilate's thinking, "Ah, these guys are always a headache, and now I've got to figure out what's going on with this guy. What did you do? And that's what he says to him. Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and he summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, this is what they're telling me. You're the king of the Jews. Is this true? You know, because that's, you know, that's worthy of death. That is operating against Caesar, and therefore I have to do something about it. So let me know what's going on here. Is that what you did? That's what they're telling me you did. And Jesus answered him and said, Do you say this thing of yourself or did others tell it to you of me? He sees right through it. He's like, did did you, is this your concern or did someone tell you this is what I said? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? I don't understand your idiosyncrasies of your culture or whatever. I could care less. Your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you unto me. Come on, level with me. What did you really do? Why are they mad at you? What's the problem? Maybe I can get you off. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered of the Jews. But now, in other words, later it will be, 
But now, my kingdom is not from here. This statement by itself should settle any idea that we have to set up Christ's kingdom here on earth. The Bible, it says there, he says, my kingdom doesn't come from here. It doesn't originate from here. It originates from up there. Things that originate from here, not from me. That's where it comes from. So Pilate therefore said unto him, are you a king then? Oh, you are a king. And Jesus answered, you sayest or thou sayest that I am a king, is what the King James says, which literally means you are correct or you say rightly that I am a king. To this end was I born. I am born to rule. And for this cause came I into the world. But here he explains how it works now. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. The kingdom is those who let me rule in their hearts. They receive my truth. They submit to my truth. They humble themselves. And of course, what does Pilate say? Buddy, I am a king. I understand how this works. And truth, not how you be a good king. What is truth? Doesn't matter. Doesn't help me out at all. See, Pilate was only interested in the kingdom of his own imagination and what it took to maintain that kingdom. So he didn't care about what Jesus had to say. There was no humility there. What about you? Does truth matter? Or do you simply build your own kingdom and and then do whatever you have to do to maintain it? Are you being honest with God when it concerns your attitude and behavior? Are you humble? Are you poor in spirit? That's the first key to living a life that's worth living. Secondly, back here in Luke chapter 7, or 6, in verse 21, Jesus said, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. The word there, hunger, means to have a strong desire to attain a goal. And again, since Jesus had taught in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are they that hunger after what? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. So we understand it's not hunger for food here, but it's after righteousness. Now, he says, if you hunger and thirst after you know, the Lord, if you're pursuing what God wants, his ways, his heart, well, it says you'll be filled. And now that word filled refers to the fattening of animals. It means to be content and satisfied. You have everything you need. You know, people try many things to make life satisfying, don't they? Let me ask you, is it a blessing to try and fill that void but come up empty time after time? No way. I don't know about you, but like, I used to be athletic. I think I still am, but then I get out there and get hurt because I'm not. But I had this one go-to shot when I would play basketball with, with the brothers or whatever. And, you know, and, you know, now when I go to it, clank, clank, clank. But I think, no, this works. It works. And you keep clanking it and clanking it. That's not satisfying. And it's the same way in life. It's no blessing to try and fill that void but come up empty time after time after time. If you're doing that, it's time to stop going to that well. Time to stop taking that shot. See, when I search for satisfaction from the Lord, then I come away content, the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. This is not a magic potion. You know, it's not, well, if I read my Bible, I'm immediately happy. No. (laughs) The idea here is Jesus is building here. Contentment starts with humility that results in a pursuit of knowing the Lord. And so my satisfaction, it comes from a closeness to him, not the absence of problems. It comes from a closeness to him in the midst of my problems, not the absence of problems. And the next principle confirms that. For he also says, blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. The word there, weep, it means to cry audibly, openly. In other words, you're doing it in a way where you're not holding anything back anymore. If we're gonna live a life that's worth living, number one, you know, we need humility. Number two, we need to be pursuing the Lord. 
But number three, we have to trust the Lord. You can't hold stuff back from him and expect to have a life that's worth living. It's no blessing to ignore the problems you're facing or to hold down the pain so that nobody sees and everything just looks fine. Jesus promises that when we turn to him with our pain, there is a solution. You say, well, what is it? Well, I'm in pain right now. Well, there's different solutions for different pain. (laughs) I can't tell you, well, this is the magic pill. That's not the point. The point is, is that Jesus has a solution when you're in pain. And he's there for you. And the promise is this. The promise is that no matter how difficult the suffering you're going through right now, he says, you shall laugh. You will laugh again. You will smile again. You will find genuine joy both in this life and the next again. And we sing that song, nothing and no one comes close to you. Can anyone else promise that to you? Can anyone else promise you that they will make sure you will smile again, that that you will laugh again? I don't know of anything or anyone that can promise that to me except the Lord. I know he can, that I'll find genuine joy both in this life and the next. He can, because he can keep that promise. And so if we're gonna have a, live a life that's worth living, we have to trust the Lord. You have to put your trust in him and pour your heart out to him with whatever it may be. God's kingdom and values are countercultural. He calls the weak and humble to follow him. He builds his kingdom on his own nature, the meek, gentle, and lowly. This is the only way we can come to God, humbly on his terms. We must recognize that we can't save ourselves, that God's plan and ways are better than ours. He alone dictates to us what is right and wrong. But if we will not come on his terms, we will not come at all. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.